Ezekiel chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll, and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears, and go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear and whether they refuse. Then the Spirit lifted me up. And I heard behind me a great and thunderous voice, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to the captives at Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Chabar, and I sat where they sat, and remain there astonished among them seven days. Father, we ask now for the work of your Spirit once again. Lord, that you'd quicken your word, that you would uh, touch our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, and Lord, that our hearts would be soft and be tender. Lord, we know that you've also sent us, so Lord, we pray that that which you gave to Ezekiel, the confirmation the boldness, the help of your Holy Spirit, those things you've promised to us as well. And Lord, we pray that we would receive and believe and walk in these truths. And Lord, you'd speak by your word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Winston Churchill said this. He said, to each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified, which would have been their finest hour. Now, Ezekiel, he's not unprepared. He's perfectly prepared for this hour, isn't he? He may not feel prepared. You know, the things that God asks you and I to do, we often don't feel prepared. Amen? There's a difference between God having us prepared and us necessarily feeling prepared. We don't walk by feelings, do we? We walk by the Word of God. We walk by faith. If God has said, I want you to go, you're ready for that finest hour. Uh, this will be a difficult hour. You see the response 
uh, of Ezekiel and the heat, heat of his spirit. Uh, this is not an easy task. And yet, as we looked at, this takes place on his 30th birthday. A priest from the tribe of Levi. God has handpicked this moment. Ezekiel's not unprepared. God has prepared him prior, and he'll give him everything he'll need going forward as well. He's just going to need to go. Everything else. God's already paid the bus fare. God's already has the itinerary. God already, Ezekiel doesn't have to do any of the planning. God already has the message. It's all been written out. Here, eat this. Everything's ready to go. Everything's ready to go. You get a call in the middle of the night, you need to go so-and-so, your airplane's ready, the limo's out front. That's not what Ezekiel get. He didn't get a limo out front. He didn't get any of those things. But the Lord said, everything's ready to go. You're prepared because I've prepared you for the last 30 years. Most of the things that God puts in front of us, again, we, even if God says, move forward, we don't necessarily think we're prepared for it. The first time you found out you were going to have your first child, surely I'm not prepared. And the Lord says, in many respects, you're not. But on the other hand, you are, or I wouldn't have given it to you. Make sense? On the one hand, we, we feel woefully unprepared, and that's a good thing because we need to be reliant on the Lord. But God's timing says, yep, now's the time. We don't, have, we don't have this in the bank, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing, and you know all these kind of things, and all of those things. God says, true, true, all true. But I'll take care of those things if you walk by faith. Uh, I remember even before I was saved, um, uh, I remember I was another unsaved person, but, but it was still some wisdom. Sometimes even the, the unsaved world, uh, they, they say things that would be true no matter what. And um, said, you know, if you wait till you're ready to get married, you'll never get married. Someone told me that, and, uh, and you guys have probably heard that too. And, and there's some truth to that, because you could, you could continually f- come up with all the list of why this will never work. And the Lord says, you can write your list all day. I said to go. This is what I want you to do. See, God, even the things that are going on in your life right now, the things that God says, I want you to do this, or I want you to say this, or I want you to uh, write a letter to so-and-so, I want you to uh, go over here, I want you to do this by faith, I want you to go to Bonaire on a Sunday night and talk to kids in the jail, I want you to do these things, whatever it may be, or just trials that have been allowed into your life, things that have now come into your life that you weren't expecting, difficulties. Uh, you know, God did not decide just a few days ago what was going to happen with us. A lot of the things in our life we decided like two days ago, got something in the mail, got an email, heard something on the radio, but God doesn't work that way. Everything that's allowed in your life, God knew about forever. And so everything he puts in our path, wherever he sends us, has been orchestrated, particularly when we're walking in his will, although even when we're not walking in his will, look at Jonah, God had everything prepared to fix Jonah's will, right? So uh, it, whom the Lord loves, he 
will fix our will if our will is not in the right place. So far, Ezekiel has been in the right place. He was in the right place with the Lord. He was walking with the Lord, walking in the Lord, even clearly being a light and a witness uh, to the other Israelites that were the captives there by the river Chabar. But where God sends us, what he puts into our life, the trials, the difficulties, all of these things, they were all prepared as they were for Ezekiel, they were prepared beforehand for us. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that uh, these things, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them beforehand. And all of this was put in place by the Lord to use Ezekiel for such a time as this, this particular time in Babylon right now to the captives that have some really false ideas of what God is going to do with Israel. We're all going to go back. We're all going to be restored. The country's going to, everything's going to be okay. And we talked about there's a lot of that same sentiment, not only in America, but around the world. Just put your head in the sand, everything will go away. It's all going to be okay. None of this stuff's going to, it doesn't matter. We could have $28 trillion in debt, it won't ever matter. Someday it'll matter. It matters now, but it will really matter later. You know, all the things, well, if every single state legalizes uh, same-sex marriage, it'll all be okay, nothing will matter. No, it'll matter. It already matters. All of these things, all the things that, that we think aren't going to ever have any impact, God says they matter now, they'll matter. Well, people can, it doesn't matter if people get divorced, they, you know, that, that stuff, uh, you know, Malachi still says God hates divorce, right? Still says that in the scriptures, and he still does. All of these things will matter. And, but the captives there in uh, Babylon, they have in their mind that things are going to be returned to normal. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to go back. Uh, and meanwhile, those that are back in Judah, they still have not repented. Not just the captives, but those that are still back in Judah, they still have not repented. And yet the message that Ezekiel is going to be sent to give is going to be given first and foremost to the very people that he's with in captivity uh, because they have a false notion of what's going to take place. If you're taking notes, though, this evening, I've titled our time in God's Word, Prepared to Proclaim. Prepared to Proclaim. And we'll look at three things in the text this evening. Filled up, built up, and lifted up. Filled up, built up, and lifted up. And what takes place here is the Lord comes, as we saw last, uh, last week in verse 10 of the previous chapter, the Lord spread this scroll out before Ezekiel, and remember there was lamentation and woe on it, so that is not good news. That's news of judgment, news the fact that it's going to be a great time of anguish. You know, God never really desires to pour out judgment. He's long-suffering, patient, compassionate, not desiring to pour out judgment, not desiring to punish a nation that refuses to repent. But at some point, God has his own line in the sand, which only he knows, 
and nations, individuals, and families, they come to the end of the line, if you will, where the Lord says, now I will move in a way that will get everyone's attention. And for Israel and every other country that's ever been judged, uh, they are days of lamentation, weeping. They are days of mourning. They are days of woe. Uh, much more than we can comprehend. You know, we're really, uh, in America, a lot of people um, are greatly entertained by movies full of just all kinds of lamentation and woe. But it's, it's easy to watch something on the screen, isn't it? To watch people getting blown up and, you know, wars and all kinds of battles and everyone's eating popcorn while they're watching it and say, well, that would really, that'd be a bummer to be there. Right? I'm sure glad that's just a movie. But what's coming for Israel won't be a movie. It'll be the real thing. And this is the things that God has put on this scroll. And he says, moreover, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll. Go and speak to the house of Israel. If you're taking notes under this first item of filled up, the first thing the Lord tells him to do is to eat. Look at three things under being filled up. Eat, feed, and savor. There is something here for us as well. Um, you and I have been given the entire scroll, the entire Word of God, if you will. Now, what's exactly on the scroll uh, is going to be the things that Ezekiel is going to go and tell uh, to the house of Israel. But you and I have been given Genesis through Revelation, all the books of the Bible, all the prophets, all the Gospels, and we've been given something that the Lord wants us to eat. Amen? Something He asks us to continually eat. And to eat, He says, Son of man, eat what you find. This is going to take the first simple response here. It's going to take obedience. God says, eat. Son of man, need to eat. We talked about that this title, Son of Man, is something that he'll be called 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, it's God's way of saying, you're human flesh and bones. You're weak, you're frail. But eat what I give you. And you and I have to do the same thing, don't we? God's told us to eat of his word. It requires obedience, it requires diligence. This takes, on our part, it takes commitment, doesn't it? No one's going to read it for you. Well, your children, you might read it for them. But generally speaking, no one pops you down and says, I'm going to read your Bible for you, to you. It's good for husbands to read to their wives or dads to read to the family and those things. But generally, I'm talking about your individual time in the Word. You have to have a commitment to it. You have to eat. You have to take of it yourself. It's a godly habit, isn't it? It addresses a spiritual hunger in the manner that eating food addresses a physical hunger. Because only the Word of God can address our spiritual hunger in the same way that you have to eat food. Eat something other than food? That's not a good thing to address, right? Try eating a bolt. Lose all your teeth has to be the things that God has given specifically for the purpose, and the Word of God has been given to eat 
And those of us who are born again, we know that we're to desire the sincere miracle of the Word that we might grow. It's important that we eat. And that takes obedience. It's one of the first things that, that a new believer tells, hey, you get in your Bible, you know, someone gets saved, say, hey, why don't you start in the book of John? Start reading the book of John. It reveals Christ and uh, the fact that He Himself uh, tells that we have to abide in Him. Now, he goes on, he says, so I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scrolls. So he's obedient. He opens his mouth. The Lord says, open the mouth and eat. Ezekiel, there's no back talking. There's no, I'm not sure. He just opens his mouth. And then the Lord caused him to eat. You know, when you and I obey and say, yes, Lord, I'll read, God will feed. So, yes, Lord, I'm going to open it up. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I want to read something else. And yet we brush those things aside. Yes, Lord, I'll eat. And the Lord says, all right, now I'll fill you. He said, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. If we feed on God's word, it's not just enough to open it up, but let the Lord feed us. It takes a little bit of time, doesn't it? You have to sit there and let your own lukewarmness kind of fall off. Your own coldness. Your own kind of not really into this. All of those things. No matter how long you've been saved, these kind of things still kind of crop up because you're still left with the, the sin nature in you always wants to do something fun quote-unquote fun, right? Always wants to do something easy, something that doesn't take any effort, like the remote control, <laughs> if you can find it. That, real, that, and that actually frustrates people a lot. Can't find the remote control. I've been guilty of that too. Job 23.12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. More than my necessary food. You know, Ray Comfort's been saying for years, Bible before belly. Bible before belly. It was John Bunyan that said, if we don't find God early in the morning, surely we won't find Him the rest of the day. And it's in the Word of God. We have to, we have to make time for it. We're all given the same 24 hours, aren't we? But the Lord says, you don't all appropriate them the same way. We have to make time to feed on God's Word. He's promised to feed us if we'll make time to feed on Him. Jesus said, feed on me. He is the bread of life. You have to take time with God. It's not a drive through meal. Now, there are times in, the, in your life where a drive through meal is all you can have, and it's good to do that. Just like in, in the role of exercise, it's better to exercise for 10 minutes than none at all. True? Those of you that are getting older like me? Um, now, but when we prioritize things, we can make time to feed on God's Word. Listen to this quote from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said, I never saw a fruit-bearing Christian who was not a student of the Bible. D.L. Moody. I never saw a fruit-bearing Christian who was not a student of the Bible. Not a 
five-minute devotional of the Bible, a student of the Bible, never saw a fruit-bearing Christian. D.L., how judgmental of you. That's just what he said. It's his travels around the United States and England and preaching and meeting so many Christians, but the ones that were bearing fruit ate and fed on God's Word. Not just, yep, that's how I do it. Cheerios, one verse, I'm good to go. Eight hours in the Wall Street Journal. Right? That's not what the Lord wants. He wants us to get down. Look what it says. It says, feed in your belly. Fill your stomach. Digest this. Ingest this. Digest it. Let it provide nutrients, spiritual nutrients for the body. It's why you're here tonight. But this isn't all. Whether you come Sundays, Wednesday, you know that you're going to need daily to feed on God's Word. And then it says it was honey and sweetness in his mouth. Savor it. That which we hide in our hearts that keeps us from sinning, but also is a light into our path and a light into our uh, lamp into our feet. Those things, it, we savor it throughout the day. We, we actually think through the problems of life and the, the just complexities and things that come up. We think through them through the Scriptures. Right? You know, the, um, the Scriptures, it, 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 funnel, it, it kind of traps everything. Those of you that have um, you know, like a, a Brita water filter or something, uh, you pour the water in and, and because that filter, it grabs out all the junk and what's left is the clean water that comes out. It's the same way of those who meditate on the Word of God, Psalm 1, they're planted by rivers of water. The things that they, and everything, they, the news that they watch, the people that they meet, the you know, work problems that they deal with, uh, the vocational issues, the family issues, the marriage, all that stuff they put through the filter of God's Word because it's wisdom, isn't it? It gives us the answers and everything. Now, the Word of God plays a huge role, and then the other part of that is the Spirit of God, which if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you. So the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, constantly gives us wisdom and guidance and counsel. We savor the Word of God. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is according all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success notice what it said Joshua said that this book of the law first it would be on your mouth but you would meditate on it day and night and by meditating on it day and night you would observe what is written in every aspect of your life then you'll prosper and have success if we would put the obedience and the feeding upon and the savoring of God's word first and foremost in our life, we're going to desire the same thing God desires. And when we desire the things God desires, we will find prosper and success. Not necessarily what the world considers, but we'll find ourselves, wow, I, didn't get it. I never knew I could finally be used to reach so-and-so. I never realized I could actually have that conversation. God will start kicking doors open for us. And he can do it, can't he? He doesn't really need to kick them open. He just says, open, and they open. Psalm 1-2, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Same principle, that savoring it. 
that it would be honey, sweetness to us. What about what takes place next here? Then he goes, then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel, speak my words, for you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. And he goes on in verse 8, he says, behold, I've made your faces strong against their faces, speaking uh, to the fact in verses 6 and 7, he talks about uh, the fact that they will not listen, but I'm going to make your forehead strong against their forehead, your face strong against their face. In other words, you're not going to back down. You're going to say exactly what I've told you to say, even though they're going to give you some really nasty looks and try and pressure you or use uh, political correctness or whatever it is to get you to say exactly what they want you to say. But you're going to say what I've asked you to say is what the Lord is saying. That I'll build you up, if you're taking notes, built up. I'll build you up. I'll have you prepared. If you're taking notes again, uh, we'll look at three things under built up. Fitted, forewarned, and fortified. Fitted, forewarned, and fortified. I'm going to send you to people of unfamiliar speech. Uh, or Not of unfamiliar speech, sorry. Uh, a people not of unfamiliar speech, not of hard language. You speak the same language. They, they speak Hebrew, you speak Hebrew. It's going to be easy, right? Not so much. Culturally, he knew their culture because they were all Israelites. These are the, the captives that he's with. He was carried away just like they were. Same culture, same language. You and I... Most everyone around us in America, for the most part, uh, same culture, same language. That does not mean we're speaking the same spiritual language. Amen? They're not, we can understand each other as far as English, and culturally we understand what's kind of the, the big things, that, you know, what's important to our next door neighbors and what's important to the people around us and what's important to the people at work. We understand the culture. We know uh, they uh, they. They monitor what's going on at The Voice and American Idol nonstop, and those are, those are super important things, I understand. You ever noticed how big a deal people place on that kind of stuff? I remember, uh, I remember being in, um, you know, we, we gather when I was still in the business world, and we get in the conference room, and there's always that 10 minutes before the conference starts, and, every, and you get to hear what people find, it, especially if it's a Monday meeting. You get to find what everyone thinks is really important in life, if, especially if there's a, like a half-hour delay, because our meetings always started late. 20 minutes was the norm. Because really important people would walk in 15 minutes late. I had 10, minutes, 10 more emails to do. I got an important call, all this stuff. But everyone else talking about all this important stuff. Yeah, we ran the kids down to the soccer tournament in Raleigh, and we had to run back up here, and we ran over there, and a swim meet over here, and this, that, and did you watch Lost? Oh, we taped the last four seasons, and all this, all this was all the stuff that I would hear. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, you're not going to people that won't understand what you're saying language-wise. They just won't understand why you're saying what you're saying. But you're fitted for this work, he said. You're 
being sent by me, so you are already prepared, fitted, or fitted for anything that God calls us to do. Even though we think, even though the reception may not be so good, we're still fitted for it because God says, I'm with you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Again, we don't go because we're able. We go because he's able. We're sent because he's able. You and I don't bring anything to the table. Ezekiel didn't bring anything to the table. God's not impressed the fact that he's a Levite and he's 30 years old and he's a priest. And none of that stuff. I'm putting a message in your mouth. I'm putting a message in your heart. They speak the same language, but they're not going to want to hear what you're about to say. But you're ready. You're going to people that speak Hebrew. But guess what? That's not a prerequisite here, is it? It says in the text, uh, surely, <laughs> if you, verse 6, I love it. It says, not many people of unfamiliar speech or hard language whose words you can't understand, surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened. You know, God doesn't exaggerate like you and I. This is not a phrase of speech. You know, you and I say uh, things like that, like, boy, if I'd have gone over there, it would have been free. It wouldn't have been free. You know, when we say things like that, we say things that are just exaggerations. I could have gone over there and I've been in and out in two minutes. No, you would have been in and out in 20, but you said two. I teach this with my daughters because by nature, you know, we all, it, we've had to learn as we have kids that the dumb exaggerations that me and my wife will use, they begin to pick up on them. And so I've had to like retrain myself out of exaggerations. But God doesn't exaggerate. When he says, had I sent you to them, they would have listened. He actually means that. He's, in other words, he said, if I would have sent you to Nineveh, they would believe it. Isn't that amazing? But those of you that have heard about God since you were this big in Jerusalem won't want to hear it. Sound like the Bible Belt, doesn't it? Hey, I've heard all that stuff. I went to church when I was two and stuff like that. And you know, I, I know that. I went to Sunday school and everything else. And uh, uh, what are you doing now? Uh, I, I don't know if I even believe that stuff anymore. You ever heard that? Yeah. Speak the same language but not the heart. But we've been fitted to go and to speak for the Lord just like Ezekiel. Forewarned, the Lord told Ezekiel, but the house of Israel will not listen to you. Uh, Lord, why am I going then? <laughs> They're not going to listen. This seems awful fruitless. They're not going to listen, and you're telling me to go? We actually don't have that dialogue, but it may be in the mind. It would have been in mine. I don't know about yours. Lord, I don't understand. If, uh, if, why, if you said if I could go to somewhere else where I don't speak Greek, and I just start speaking them in Hebrew, and they'll actually listen, that sounds like a good deal. Send me there. I have to say, it, uh, Jesus said a prophet's not loved in his own country. Remember Jesus specifically said that in his own hometown? Um, those of you that have tried to be the light at your, in your family, it's not always well-received, is it? No. It's easier to talk to a complete stranger sometimes, to go back to the captives and say, all right, everybody, gather in. God's going to judge us severely. 
<laughs> yeah, everyone wants to give Ezekiel the first bus ticket out. We don't want to hear that. Didn't we tell you we're recording our three favorite shows tonight? And you're messing up. We're not feeling good about that at the moment. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Sending you out. You know, wolves will tear you apart. Sometimes verbally. Sometimes they're persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Literally. Amen? We pray for them even tonight uh, in our time of prayer. But Ezekiel's forewarned they're not going to listen. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. You know, it's amazing to me in America. You know, we, we have right there on the dollar bill, and God we trust. We know that the vast majority of people do not believe that. It should say, in this dollar we trust, right on the bill. Um, I don't think the Lord, you know, uh, if, if we ever remove that from our dollar, it's not, that's not America's death sentence. Uh, we might be in worse shape blasphemously having on there and God we trust when we actually don't. Uh, and we have, uh, what, I don't know how many trillions, we have 17 trillion debt, but I don't know how much we have total currency, but everywhere the witness is against us all over this nation and God we trust when we really don't as a nation. Remember, this is spoken to Israel as the nation, uh, but the nation is made up of a bunch of individual hearts. And all these individual hearts are impudent and they're hard, and just like uh, America has become so hard-hearted to the gospel, and there's nothing that would keep um, anyone from going and hearing the gospel, but the vast majority of the people are uninterested. Again, the most recent uh, real accurate data I've seen is, is some percentages are as low as 8-9% of America's actually truly born-again believers and a high of 19-20%. Those are the what I, you know, I know I see the polls, you see them too. 78% of Americans are Christian. Jesus said the road is very narrow. <laughs> Few there be that find it. And 78% of people have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're not ready to meet God face to face. Names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And in Israel, although many of them might go to back when they lived in, uh, uh, back when they lived in Judah, they might have observed the feast. They might have gone to temple. They might have done the religious things. But God says, but you're nowhere near me. Even Jesus, when he was uh, on his earthly ministry, he said, uh, the lips of these people speak of me, but their hearts are far from me. You worship me. He said, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. There's a big disconnect. So he's forewarned that the house of Israel is not going to listen. But you'll be fortified. Behold, I've made your face strong against their faces, your forehead strong like adamant stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid nor dismayed at their looks. They're a rebellious house. You know, you can't, you can't conjure up this kind of boldness 
You have to receive it from God. Amen? You cannot make up God-given boldness. The apostles were bold in the faith. Amen? The, the, the prophets were bold in the Lord. They didn't, like, uh, they didn't you know, run around, bang their heads on a wall like you know, uh, pro football players do before the game, get all fired up and run out there. You know, it's harder to do what the apostles and prophets did than it is to play in the NFL. Because people's faces and the message, um, you know that you're up against a wall of humanity that wants nothing to do with what it is you're telling them. And the Lord says, look, the bottom line is they don't listen to me. Isn't that the clincher? Because if they don't listen to me, why would you think they'd listen to you? But because of that, I will make your face like flint. You can't make it like that? God says, I will make it that way. He's the one that fortifies us. I love when uh, Peter, who did not know he was about to fail, but failed nonetheless. Remember Jesus' famous words, uh, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Isn't that great? We're fortified by Christ. You cannot fortify yourself. That's why you have to be in the Word in prayer, and he fortifies you. You cannot make yourself strong. In weakness we become strong. Ezekiel couldn't make himself ready for this task. He couldn't. He needs the Lord. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words. It's God that puts it in the heart. It's God that strengthens the heart. It's God that makes it all stick. Amen? That, that, that it gets into the fabric of our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. When we receive it, the Lord says, you'll be able to do this. The Lord literally says, I got this. You're going to go, you're going to speak, they're not going to listen, but you're going to be able to pull through this because I've made your face like a flint. I fortified you. I strengthened you. Verse 11, go get to the captives. There's an emergency, God said. Go, get to the captives. These are, again, the, the, the fellow Hebrews, the fellow Israelites, the ones that don't share his newfound understanding of what's coming. And this wasn't new to Ezekiel. Remember that Isaiah had prophesied these things, right? Those of you that have studied the Word of God, long before Isaiah had said what was coming, Jeremiah had said what was coming. Amen? These were not new. They had been given fair warning from previous prophets. Chuck Smith went to be home with the Lord, uh, what, four or five months ago? I forget. Back in October, right? Long before Chuck, other pastors like R.A. Torrey and Tozer were warning what was coming to America if we did not repent, if we did not turn. Chuck said it right up until all the, the day he died. Chuck would keep saying, I know that this country must turn. It must turn to the Lord, right? Men like David Wilkerson said it, and you, on and on. You know, men that went, Adrian, Dr. Adrian Rogers and Bellevue Baptist Church, and all these different, many men had said the same thing. Many had observed the same things. They've gone to be home with the Lord. So the witness is not just the current information that Ezekiel's receiving. This is restated from previous Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
And by the, by the way, Daniel and Ezekiel, who we know are contemporaries, nearly the exact same age, they're both receiving from the Lord warnings. We happen to be in the book of Ezekiel. But go and get to the, get to the captives. Children of your people, speak to them. Tell them, thus says the Lord. Don't worry. Don't tell them that this is from you. Just tell them it's from me. They already don't listen to me. They will soon. Amen? By the way, unlike you or I, we can't actually force anyone to listen to us. God can. He chooses not to up to a point, but at some point, he will have everyone's attention. Won't he? Even in the book of Job, it talks about, um, you know, that uh, he can just send a rainstorm that causes man to stop from his work. Anytime he wants to get our attention, he most certainly can. Get to the captives, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Verse 12, then the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a great and thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. Spirit lifted me up. This last point we looked at, look at tonight, lifted up two things, the glory of the Lord and the hand of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. The first one here, the glory of the Lord. I heard behind me a great and thunderous voice. I also heard the noise of the wings of living creatures. There's once again, uh, he's not describing the look. He, right now he's saying, I'm surrounded by this uh, stereo surround sound, if you will, of a thunderous voice. I hear the sound of the wings. I hear the sound of the wheels. And I was reminded, in other words, he said, at that moment, I'm lifted up, literally. He says, and I, the Spirit lifted me up. Lifted him up. And I'm reminded of the glory of God. And that's a good thing because when doubts and fears are about to come in, it's good to be reminded of the glory of God. Amen? You have to know. You have to believe deep down within you that God is for you. It doesn't matter what anyone else or who the opposition is or what they think or what if they won't listen. Noah had to deal with that, didn't he? Nobody believed. But just keep saying what the Lord has us to say. This thunderous voice, it almost, it's almost like the, the sound, just it's so loud. You know how like when, when, when something is really loud, you can feel it in your body? It like shit, you know, like a bass. We most hear it when some kid pulls up beside us at a red light, and you know, your, your car starts to shake with their car and stuff like that. But you know, the, the sound alone can actually, we feel it uh, inside of our own body. Well, this was more than that. The Spirit lifted him up, but he's surrounded by all of this sound. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. It's always good when God reverts our attention back to the author and finisher of our faith. Because when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, just like Stephen being stoned, he did not even feel the rocks. I don't believe. Because he was looking... How could you look at Jesus sitting on the throne? Actually, he wasn't sitting. Jesus stood. Isn't that amazing? Stood. And then at that moment, he's able to have a conversation. Lord, don't lay this sin in their chart. Have a conversation while you're getting pummeled by rocks. Have a conversation with the Lord. But that's 
what the presence or the glory of God does, it kind of drives everything out and puts the universe in perspective, much less yours and my little petty problems, which some of them are. They're not all little and petty, but a lot of them are. The ones that we get most worked up about sometimes are petty. But the glory of the Lord is so important that we see it in our lives. We see it in the Word of God. We see it in our prayer life. We see it in answered prayer. We see it in the lives of others. We see it when we worship. If you don't spend time worshiping, you need to. Get some music that you can worship the Lord, that you can come into the presence of the Lord I love Jude one twenty four. now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that great? Remember, we're not sent because we're able, we're sent because he's able. Now to him who is able. The able ain't you or me. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, there's the word again, with exceeding joy, don't we all need that, to God our Savior who alone is wise, we're not wise, be glory and majesty, there it is again, dominion and power, forms of his glory, both now and forever, amen, sit down and worship. I love, you guys know I, I've mentioned this verse from time to time, but I love Job 35.5. You can't forget it, just remember, Job 35.5. Simple verse, look to the heavens and behold the clouds, they're higher than you. And sometimes I'll do that. You know, I might have a, uh, something that comes across my own plate that troubles me, and I will just literally look up and see the clouds, and I will quote Job 35.5, the clouds are higher than me, which means who's higher than me? God. And so God says, if I got the clouds, and they're higher than you, and I'm higher than the clouds, focus on my glory and watch this fade out of your mind. Not that I don't think about it at all, but it dissipates in its high blood pressure raising power. You know what I mean? And that's what Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit, lifting him up saying, just taste one more time before you go, one more time before you go, taste the glory of the Lord. Remember that, honey? Ain't eat nothing. This is, like, this is like a lightning bolt before you go. And then we see the last as we come to a close, the hand of the Lord. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness. Now this is an odd, but not so odd, kind of wrap-up of this. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Even with all the glory, even with the sweetness of the, the, the word, he can't get past judgments coming. My people are going to be severely destroyed. They're not going to listen to me. This message, Lord, I don't, I don't, I don't know how am I even supposed to get it out of my mouth. He sits here astonished for seven full days. What it says in the verse 15. Everyone's looking at him like, You don't normally go this long without speaking. What's going on? Second day, still not saying anything. Third day, still not saying. But the hand of the Lord was mighty upon him. 
you and I have, we have the knowledge that people really are dying and going to hell. We have the knowledge that judgment really is coming. We have a knowledge that, that there really is a seven-year tribulation that's going to come on the earth. We have a knowledge that men, women, boys, and girls are going to find cataclysmic events take place someday that will make everything else that we've ever seen in world history look like child's play. All those things. And we know that, uh, we know that Satan constantly has come to seek and destroy and to tear up families and all that stuff. And it's difficult because you can, actually, <laughs> you can actually have bitterness of spirit when you look at all that. It's daunting, isn't it? To look and understand the reality of all of that and to know that you know, it's never fun to tell someone when you witness to people and, and you really have someone who has a genuinely soft heart. They really have a soft heart, but it's not easy still to tell them. And they would say, well, what happens if I say no to all this? Well, you'll spend eternity in hell. You know, that's never, none of us enjoy saying that. And yet the Lord says, I'll give you my strength because it's the greatest act of love to God and other people to carry whatever message God says we must carry. Make sense? That is. Jesus, he loved the whole world and he came and told everyone, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. very important that we have the hand of the Lord that he comforts us through. John Bunyan says, in times of affliction, we commonly meet with the sweetest experiences of the love of God. In times of affliction, afflicted spirit. It was the hand of Jesus that touched John the apostle there in, in Revelation chapter 1. Gave him strength. And you and I, we need to be lifted up by the Lord. And we need to be lifted by His Spirit. Amen? And we need the hand of the Lord on our lives. But He won't be on our lives. Our hand won't be on there unless we're in submissive surrender to Him. Amen? That's what Ezekiel, that's the position Ezekiel took. Everything Ezekiel you see is yes, Lord, in His response. And because of that, He gets the Spirit of the Lord lifting him up, strengthening him, moving him forward, even in a difficult task. So whatever your difficult task is, and we all have one task, and that's to be lights and witnesses for Jesus, he'll give us the strength. Amen?